Welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. My name is Sarah Buttery. And I'm MJ Smith. And MJ watched Sorcerer this week. That's Woo! the good news. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I watched it yesterday and I'm still recovering. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you, if this is your first time listening, Sorcerer is a film that also stars Roy Scheider, uh, Chief Brody from this and every guest i feel like except for tom last week has said oh yeah i was to prepare for the show i watched jaws and sorcerer (laughs) um which is funny because the show isn't about sorcerer you guys don't have to do that um (laughs) except now you do because this is sorcerer for a minute i think we're we're just gonna switch it up episode 13 (laughs) forward sorry this is a sorcerer (laughs) podcast now uh but no it's super good and mm-hmm. you should see it because every movie you've loved that came out after 1977 has a reference to Sorcerer in it. Um, yeah, it does. <laughs> including, I just learned, the recent episode of The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you guys should see that movie because it's super good. Also, maybe have some drinks available because you'll need them. <laughs> Yeah, and happy to report that we can now continue with the podcast because I was threatening to uh, hold it to ransom until you watched it. So uh, True, we can, the main we reason can, I watched it. Yeah, we can continue. You no longer have to put up with me every week being like, why haven't you watched Sorcerer? Um, I'm so... I'm so happy that you have watched it and I'm even more delighted that you loved it. I knew you would because I don't know anyone who's seen that film and not liked it i know a lot of people who haven't heard of it um which is also wild because as you said it seems like it has influenced every film since then um but it's just so great and if us banging on about it isn't persuading you to go and watch it then i don't know what is it's i don't know if it's available i don't think it's available anywhere streaming here um Mm. So you'll just have to take our word for it and buy the Blu-ray or something. It is worth it. And it's, yeah, if you don't drink, this film might lead you to, to starting to <laughs> yeah. um, at least have like a, a pillow to hide behind or a stress ball or something that you can just maybe like take a walk halfway through. Um, it's pretty... It's pretty tense and something that we spoke about uh, before we started recording was actually that a fairly like similar structure to Jaws in terms of like the two acts which is well helpful because obviously this is still a Jaws podcast (laughs) so there is a link there but yeah this is our this is our kind of film. Yeah definitely and it's it's funny too because I have never had that many people excited that I'm watching a movie before. (laughs) But when I tweeted that I was watching it, I had like three or four people in the DMs like, you got to let me know what you think of Sorcerer as soon as the credits roll. Yeah. Um, and so there, the, what I've learned is there are two camps of people who uh, have a relationship with Sorcerer. It's either the people who have seen it and realize it's one of the greatest thrillers ever made mm-hmm. and people who have never heard of it. And that's it. Like there's no in between. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although last uh last week tom was on and he said that he has it and he owns a copy but he has yet to watch it so uh, tom what are you waiting for watch it you need to experience it hit us up in the dms afterwards as well just because anyone who watches this film please just let me know what you think of it i just i just love talking about it so much yeah <laughs> like, it's, this it's and yours. <laughs> so good and it was funny because i was texting uh, uh, my co-host mike on on uh real perspective and he had never even heard of it and he loves action movies and so i know this is right up his alley and i told him i was like here's the thing you need to prioritize watching this because i'm going to be so annoying about you watching this movie (laughs) that you should just get it out of the way (laughs) 
Yeah. You are now me, just irritating yeah. everyone into yeah. watching this film, bullying them into watching it, blackmailing yeah. them into watching it. Yeah, whatever it takes. That's the thing. Except my wife does not do well with stressful movies. And I was like, oh, you w- can never see this. Don't do it. You you will <laughs> never see this movie ever in your life because it's the single most stressful thing. I had another friend who was like, it's more stressful than Uncut Gems. And I was like, Uncut Gems wishes it was a stressful <laughs> sorcerer. Yeah, that's very, very true. Uh, Uncut Gems is an incredibly stressful film to watch for many reasons, but... I don't think anything hits the same stress levels of Sorcerer. It's it's something else, and it's so well executed as well. Roy Scheider is amazing in it, um, in the lead role as well. Even mm-hmm. though there's it's it's an ensemble cast, like there's a lot of characters, and the film spends a lot of time building up those characters at the start until the, sort of the action kicks in. But he's definitely the the main character in it, and he's really great in it. As you he expect. is. There's actually uh, one last connection to Jaws before we actually talk about this scene because I could talk, <laughs> I could do a whole sh- episode of this show on Sorcerer. <laughs> but last week we had talked about the fact that Roy Scheider has like a really good face when he he's in that the dolly zoom shot. Mm-hmm. There's a scene at the end of the movie. Spoilers for like the I don't know fifty year old movie or whatever that that he has a similar vibe to it. It's after mm-hmm. everything's said and done and he has this moment reflecting on his experience leading up to the end of the film. And it really reminded me of the same shot that comes, you know, a quarter of an hour in the way of Jaws, but it's at the tail end of Sorcerer where it just it hangs on his face mm-hmm. for a really long time. And he has this very subtle expression that conveys all the trauma that he's experienced over the course of the movie in a really profound way. And it's Mm -hmm. not huge. It's not this over the top emotional, you know, uh, bordering on stage acting monologue or breakdown or anything like that. But it is this one look that lasts the better part of a minute, not quite a minute. It like, Maybe maybe even 30 seconds, but it just conveys the entire weight of the film up to mm-hmm. that point on him. Much the way the first 15 minutes of Jaws lands on him like a ton of bricks in the dolly zoom shot. And it's, it's really great. Mm-hmm. So good. <laughs> yep. Anyway, this is still a Jaws <laughs> podcast. Um, contrary to my attempts to usurp uh the 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 format of the show um we are watching jaws minute by minute and this week or thereabouts and this week we are uh out of of the beach we're we're back inside and the timestamp this week is 18 minutes and 11 seconds until 19 minutes and 18 seconds and there is now a reward on this shark's head Call the Mando. We need, <laughs> we need, we need this shark brought to justice. Um, get your biggest pair of handcuffs and <laughs> meet me on the dock. Uh, so Alex Kittner's mother has put a three thousand dollar reward on the shark. Three, mm-hmm. wait, thirty thousand, three thousand, three thousand. Yeah, <laughs> um, three thousand dollar reward on the shark. Um, uh, a $3,000 bounty to the man or men who catch and kill the shark that killed Alex M. Kittner on Sunday, June 29th on the Amity Town Beach. Um, oh, we have confirmation of the date. <laughs> and was, the day. Yeah, that was the first thing I wrote in my notes. <laughs> Jaws is a time travel movie. Oh. I get to talk about Jaws being a time travel movie. Oh, no. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> so here's the thing. Coroner report. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. I got to do the research. I can't believe I didn't notice this when I watched the scene. Uh, coroner report for Chrissy Watkins has her dead on 7 one mm-hmm. So Chrissy dies July 1st, but Alex Kittner dies June 29th. <laughs> They thought we wouldn't notice. <laughs> Someone call Doc Brown. Yeah. 
Jaws is a time travel movie confirmed. <laughs> yep, officially. There is a there is a uh, scene later in the movie that I thought was kind of weird, but this is this is the ultimate confirmation. There's text in the movie. There's it's undeniable <laughs> that Jaws is a time travel movie. Yeah. If you have an argument against this, I don't know. What's um, about. I well, I don't. But the only thing I will say is. <laughs> this is this is really clutching at straws but uh we've seen that uh brody made a mistake on the uh on the coroner's report in terms of the spelling so maybe he was just being a bit sloppy with the date as well and that's uh, <laughs> that really is clutching at straws but <laughs> that's kind of a lot uh yeah <laughs> the 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 no, here's here's what it is uh both brody and the shark are time lords and uh chrissy dies and brody's like nope i gotta go back to a simpler time two days ago Mm -hmm. and the shark's like not on my watch motherfucker and he also (laughs) goes back (laughs) oh boy um (laughs) he steps into a, a a shark cage tardis and goes back to june 29th 1974 yeah it doesn't matter what timeline brody sends himself to the shark is on to him and he is going to follow him there and kill someone regardless doesn't matter nothing we cannot stop him there's nothing we can do to stop this time traveling shark i think we just wrote the reboot of jaws the revenge that the world needs i mean it's probably better than what we actually got so I'm 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 here for it. If if I know a lot of people are like you should never remake Jaws, you could never do you know, you can't do Jaws again. It's it's you know, should be left untouched. If they made it into this wild time traveling movie with this shark who is able to travel through time, I don't know. Kind of here for it. I'd, I'd watch it. I mean, <laughs> I am watching it. it. It's called yeah. Jaws. <laughs> you told me about this theory like a few weeks ago. And I was waiting. I was waiting for the moment that it was going to come up, and I wasn't sure if it would be confirmed. Did you? Did you know about? Was this what prompted it? You seeing the date on the poster, or was it when you watched it this time around that you were like, "Oh, it was when I watched it." Literally, I clicked over to read the text, and that's when it registered to me that we have confirmation on the time travel. Mm-hmm. My theory before this was. <laughs> Later in the film, actually, when Alex Kittner's mom confronts Brody on the dock and she slaps him, she says, a girl died here last week and you didn't say anything. And that always struck me as weird because the coroner report does say it's July 1st and then the climax of the first um, act of the movie takes place on July 4th. So I have always been like, they've had Alex Kittner's funeral incredibly quickly. Mm. And also, which is actually still true because it's like two days later. (laughs) And also, um, if the girl died there last week, how soon did Alex die? If it was that afternoon or the next day, it still doesn't make sense. Um, But now I am staring dead-eyed at... (laughs) a sign that confirms that there that Amity is full of time travelers because if Alex Kittner knows that Chrissy died last week then she is also a time traveler uh, <laughs> I'm not even sure how to start unpacking this this theory but um I I don't want to say you're wrong because the evidence is staring me right in the face. I genuinely don't know how to explain it. Um, I would love it if someone has sat and worked it out, or if, I don't know, like, is there, is anyone else insane as us and has picked up on this, or is there, like, a know. theory online? My, <laughs> my favorite thing about this is I was the one accusing you of wild conspiracies last week. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now who's the crazy one? <laughs> my, how the turntables. Yeah. 
Oh boy. Well, I thought one of the things that I uh, had in my notes was insane, but you've you've got me beat there. But um, I, I will plow on regardless. In that, in <laughs> in my notes, despite what we have just watched, which is a, a horrible and brutal moment when Alex Kintner is killed by the time traveling shark, um, I <laughs> said that this uh, scene, which is basically just people talking and yelling over each other. Um, is one of the more uh, not even one of the more is the most chilling scene in the film my justification Mm. being (laughs) that half of the people who are in this room shouting and yelling are excited uh, because this now gives them it's Brody describes it as like a contest so they now see this as a as a sport you know something they can they can go out and do and actually in the uh, moment that we'll talk about in next week's episode the guy sort of the the first person to speak when the meeting is called to order is like oh is the bounty cash or check and it's like (laughs) this is not a laughing matter a child has died and secondly or that the the kind of the other group of people who are in this meeting they don't care that a child has just died they just want the beaches to stay open so this (laughs) the people in this scene or what kind of unfolds in this like minute and a bit is like some of the most horrifying stuff in Jaws because it's so real and it's there is not a shark to be seen. The shark hasn't even been drawn on the chalkboard by Quint at this point. This is just the people reacting to what they've just happened. And um, Mrs. Taft has a real big part to play in this scene. She is relentless. There's a lot of really great Mrs. Taft moments that I want to get into, but... Yeah, your your thoughts on this being one of the more uh, frightening or horrifying scenes in the film? Yeah, so I got too distracted because I legit didn't read the sign when I watched the thing. So I didn't finish the scene <laughs> description. So let me finish that first, and oh. then I'll talk about that. So there's the there's the, the, the bounty poster that confirms that Jaws is a time travel film. Mm-hmm. And then Mrs. Taft and a lot of the residents are arguing back and forth about this. Mrs. Taft floats the idea that it may not have even been a shark, which we will come back to because, wow. <laughs> um, and then um, Harry, Harrow, <laughs> Harry Meadows, the newspaper guy played by Carl Gottlieb, and Brody are talking because Mrs. Kittner has taken out an ad in the paper now. And Brody's like, this is going to be absolute madness, which we later learn he's right because he's a good police officer. And he says that it's going to be a contest and... Um, that Mrs. Kittner is also advertising in papers out of town, which means all kinds of people are going to be flooding the the beaches of Amity on top of the people coming for Fourth of July to uh, try to kill the shark. And then the the mayor calls the meeting to order, says, "Hey, let's go into the chambers to have the you know the the meeting or whatever." And then Harry says that it's a small story. And he will bury it in the back pages. And then um, the people flood into the meeting chambers and the meeting starts proper. And that's about where we cut it off, where mm-hmm. um, Mr. and Mrs. Taft have like a little bit to say right before the meeting comes to order. And then the meeting comes to order and we will talk about the meeting and also the best line in the movie next week. I was wondering <laughs> if that line was going to be this week or next week and it's it's going to be next week but i'm, I'm very excited saving it up till next week <laughs> yeah i'm very excited i i love that line um so yes what a scene um mm-hmm. in the the year of our lord 2020 uh <laughs> what a scene immediate yeah. denial from mrs taft immediate mm-hmm. denial we don't know we don't know if it's a shark it's just the flu. It's just the flu. <laughs> oh, it's too real. <laughs> I got a DM from Sarah before we started recording that said, wow, this week's scene is Karen-tastic, OMG. And uh, <laughs> wow, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, I I stand by that. Um, so we have the, the glorious return of the Taft. Um, you can sing that to the tune of the uh, 1996 song Return of the Mac. Sure. Um, and um yeah she she makes a big impact in this scene and it it starts with that shot of the poster and then she is straight away like you said just denying it she was on the beach this is the thing that gets me she was there she 
you see her with Mr. Taft on the on the beach in the scene previous where they're like, did you see that? And they kind of like stand up and then they're there kind of like helping the kids out of the water as well. She is standing in front of the, of the sign that is like, a kid killed a shark. And she's like, what nope. shark? Opposite. Opposite. Yeah. She's like, I don't know her. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's just happened. And I... I hadn't really picked up in previous watches exactly what it is she is upset about. I'd always sort of seen it as are the the townspeople just arguing about whether it, you know, whether it was a shark or what or what happened or mm-hmm. some think it's a shark and some wasn't. And today is when I kind of like really latched onto the fact of what they're arguing over. She is basically just upset that this is now going to be bad for her business. So she she then goes on to complain about she hasn't got any of her regular customers or something. And I'm like, read the room, Karen. A kid has just died. Like, this is... Your problems right now do not matter. And she goes from talking to that guy by the poster. She then goes over to Larry, who sort of brushes her off. She then goes over to Brody. She is just... in In just every conversation, she is just banging on about her business and i think uh we find out in a bit that she owns a, a motel and she's just complaining and it's like there are surely there are bigger things to worry about here and also you were literally just on the beach like how can you stand there and say shark i don't know i haven't seen, I haven't seen a shark like I... yeah <laughs> so one thing i will say and this may be better suited to next week's but it's all one scene Brody kind of screws up here too mm-hmm. because at no point does Chrissy get brought up. Yeah. And I know we have the medical examiner who's been paid off or whatever to say, oh, it was a boating accident or whatever. But we also have an eyewitness in Tom. Tom's nowhere to be found. I also understand um, there's a little bit of the Hitchcock principle at play where, you know, why don't you, when someone asks, Hitchcock, why don't your characters call the police? His response was, because that's dull. Um, <laughs> so there is a little bit of that at play where it's like, okay, well, yeah, if he's just honest with everyone and can prove it and everyone's like, oh, hey, yeah, there is a shark. Let's band together and get rid of this. There's no movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a short film at that point. And so there is a little bit of that at play, but he does omit this information entirely. And it's not clear. We'll get into that more, I guess, but it's not clear how uh, Mrs. Kittner finds out necessarily because that story is basically buried by Mm. the mayor. Like talk about putting it in the back pages. I feel like that's exactly what Harry did with Chrissy too. Mm. Um, Because he's, you know, he's on the side of Mayor Vaughn in this situation. And, they're all in his pocket or something it seems like where he's got really good dirt on them but at no point does brody even kind of be like hey we did have a shark attack last week etc um and that's that's a little bit on him he's not entirely without fault in this whole situation either it's not entirely his fault by Mm. any stretch Mm. but i think that him providing the public with that information would at least sway a little bit of the the anti-closing the beaches sentiment that he's about to face. Yeah, I think maybe in his defense, and <laughs> I think this is, well, everyone in the town seems to be in this small space now and they're all pretty riled up. He's barely able to get a word in edgeways. Like he really doesn't say a lot in this scene. And actually... I noticed something that he did say, which again, I don't think I'd noticed before, is um, when he's talking to Harry um, and sort of having the conversation about the uh, the thing is also in the out of town papers. Um, before, I think it's right before Brody says he's worried about it turning into a contest. He says, I have to talk to Mrs. Kintner. Um, and I hadn't really registered that before that like clearly it is on his mind that he needs to he needs to talk to Mrs. Mrs. Kintner. I mean, her her son has just been killed, and it's not really clear how quickly after that event everyone is now coming into this meeting. It sort of it feels like it's the same day, but I think that's just because of the immediacy of of how it sort of cuts straight from the raft washing up on the beach to then the sign and the meeting happening. Mm-hmm. But 
yeah, it, it's. I wrote originally in my notes that Brody is maybe the only good guy in this scene, and I stand by it to an extent. But I also see what you're saying. I think that I think that perhaps in this moment he could have done more. And actually, this is the the moment where um, when later we see him slapped by by Mrs. Kintner and confronted by her, the guilt that is all over his face then I think comes but it comes back to this certainly and it also goes as far back as not sort of making as as big a deal as he should have done about Chrissy I think the difference being that Chrissy's death happened at night and really no one witnessed it Tom was there but he was passed out on the beach um Alex's death is a lot more high profile because it happened when the beach was basically full of people and a lot of people saw it so I, yeah, I agree. I think Brody could have done more in this scene and he could have mentioned Chrissy, but also, you know, the medical officer has kind of written it off. He's gone, it was a boating accident. You know, that that case might not even still be open because of that, because they mm-hmm. said they were going to amend the reports. Um, so I think that's certainly relevant for this scene as well in, in why it doesn't come up. But the reason why I, I, I wrote that Brody is, is a good guy in this scene is because it is still clearly on his mind that the right thing to be doing is... is well, should be talking to Mrs. Kintner. And he's clearly frustrated at being, like, ushered into this meeting as well. He doesn't sit behind the desk with Larry and, and the other guys. He's off to the side. And it's in the next bit that we talk about next week that he is then sort of, like, brought into the conversation and told to say something. But he is immediately shot down. So it's pretty it's pretty intimidating. I I would feel intimidated in that situation where... He doesn't even now have the paperwork to back up the thing about Chrissy. Yeah. Um, and in the same way that, you know, Brody could have done more, uh, Miravon's a piece of crap in this scene. He sucks mm-hmm. in this scene. He <laughs> just, like, it, just complete willful ignorance in this, where it's, you know, uh, uh, Brody's trying to tell him, like, hey, man, this is a matter of public safety. And he just tells him, oh, go out there and make sure no one gets hurt tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And what the hell? Like, how, how, how do you feel that way about the people in your city? Like, I, man, I do not understand it whatsoever. Mm. And and Brody, in the way that he responds, is clearly like, well, what am I meant to do? Like getting like get in the water and find you know grab this shark with my bare hands or something. <laughs> I mean, that's obviously not what he says. He says nothing. But yeah, I noted down that line as well. Where Brody's sort of saying, you know, I'm responsible for public safety. So he's he's desperately wanting to do the right thing. And yeah. Larry is so he's so dismissive. He's like, you know, yeah, just you know, go out and make sure no one gets hurt. Then and that, I think that's the only thing he says to to Brody in this and he's obviously focused with sort of getting the meeting started but I struggle to decide who is more horrible in this moment whether it is uh Larry or whether it is Harry because Harry does a despicable thing in this scene as well and it it comes back later on um when the 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 tiger shark our good pal is caught um and he makes wants to make a really big deal out of that story but what he says in this is like, again, we're talking about a child has died and a, a grieving mother is trying to do the right thing and, um, you know, get this shark caught or get, you know, get the danger out of the water. And Harry is like, it's a small story. I mean, how insulting. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a good job that Mrs. Kintner isn't there because imagine hearing that. Imagine hearing that, you know, this this guy who is clearly, you know, well respected in the town enough to be hanging around with Mayor Vaughan anyway is just like yeah this is a nothing story I will bury it with the grocery ads on the back pages like how insulting is that and also it's not a small story a child has killed a child? <laughs> a child has killed two people um, a shark well <laughs> this got dark um, a shark sorry uh, has killed t- <laughs> killed two people like how is that not a big story I don't what is his i don't I, what, what a horrible man <laughs> so i want to circle back to mrs taft for one second mm-hmm. um i think something that we do fail to do and this this does not let people off the hook uh 
Um, and I think this is something that we see a lot with what's going on in the pandemic and a lot of the denial about that. Mm. Um, I very much need to choose my words carefully because I do not want to sound like I'm entertaining the possibility of those people being correct because they are not. But I think a lot of the denial comes from a lot of anxiety people have about getting sick and dying. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing we've learned about going through this is everyone's anxiety is at an all-time high and there is a collective trauma we are experiencing because of that we are experiencing a collective grief a grief of the loss of our normal way of life that we haven't been able to lead for the better part of a year we can talk about why we haven't been able to lead that life uh for the better part of a year when and other people seem to be able to but that's not what i want to focus on when happens with grief is the first stage is denial and I think we're seeing that in Mrs. Taft. And I think there's evidence, maybe this is reading too much into it. I think there's evidence within the scene to show that she has been traumatized by what she witnessed on the beach the previous day or earlier that day or whatever. Um, presumably she has children with Mr. Taft and she's trying to deny it because that could have been her kids out there. Mm. She's wearing a yellow sweater in this scene. She is indeed. And because of that, it, once again, could be reading too much into it, but we could argue that there is a, she is psychologically a victim of the shark at that point. Mm. Um, and her denial is her defense mechanism for not wanting to face the grief that she's experiencing or the trauma of the fact that it could have been someone she knew or one of her kids or something. So I think... Empathy goes a long way to understanding her fellow people. That doesn't make her right in her denial of the fact that it wasn't a shark or the need to reopen mm. uh, or keep things open. But I do think it's interesting because she is wearing yellow and yellow is a very significant color in the film. So it's one of those things where it's like, why would they just randomly put someone in a yellow sweater when they're clearly using yellow throughout the production design of the film? This, I think this might be interesting to follow over the next couple of episodes because I picked up on her wearing the yellow and Larry, I believe, is also wearing like a yellow jacket. Um, and obviously he has a lot more to say in the next bit, kind of when the meeting starts. So going back to that um, grief cycle that you sort of mentioned in the first stage being denial, the stages after that are then anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. It'll be interesting to see, I think, throughout this scene, if we see those other things come up. I'm now trying to picture the scene in my head and I'm, I'm not quite getting all of them. But not just that, but also whether perhaps the characters who are wearing yellow in this scene are the ones who represent those different things. I mean this could just be a like a thing that we are we are plucking out but i th i think there's something in it to be honest there's certainly something in the color yellow because we've talked about how significant it is um previously and that is deliberate um because we see it throughout the film <laughs> going back and i i tend to watch I, I tend to have the scene pulled up so i can i can pull up other details to support my arguments <laughs> uh rewinding a few seconds there is a gigantic yellow handkerchief hanging off of mrs taft's purse as well uh, okay it's huge it's it's <laughs> such i don't know why it's there it seems so unwieldy on that purse <laughs> so i think that i i yeah i have fully convinced myself that this is intentional by costuming and production design to illustrate that because i think we do see anger almost immediately mm-hmm after this yeah so we, that's at least the first two two uh, uh steps of the grief cycle mm. in this one scene we definitely get bargaining as well i think because mm -hmm. um we laugh about the line uh, that that comes next but um larry does sort of go on to say like uh, when the idea of closing the beaches is touted, he does sort of say like only only twenty four hours, only twenty four hours. I'm I'm conscious of getting into the 
the next moment but i think is relevant to what we're saying that you could certainly see that as as bargaining because he's he's losing the crowd at that point they are they're about to turn on him i mean they're 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 pretty mad by this point because the idea of closing the beaches is so unacceptable to them so we certainly see that and then i i think even later when we then get quint the he has that you know brilliant entry and the the sort of silence that follows that as well and you sort of get the sense of the crowd coming round to the idea and perhaps there's the acceptance that this is actually this is something that they need to take seriously but i think i mean you could argue whether they actually do start to take it seriously then because obviously the thing that follows is then the beach is open and everyone having a merry old time but that's it's well... i never thought about this sort of grief collective grief thing that they're experiencing but i think it's very interesting so we do see them on the beach but we don't see them in the water Mm. and so i mean it takes peer pressure for them to end up in the water and even (laughs) then it seems half-hearted at best so i think there might be an acceptance component to it in Mm. this scene Mm. um this this sequence playing out as the five stages of grief makes a ton of sense to me because uh, you know, you've got to condense all that down to fit into a two-hour movie. So having that whole cycle play out in this one scene mm-hmm. um, where you have the town gathered for... Basically, this is basically the first scene where... um, Or the... the la- Sorry. This is basically the last scene for a while the town is assembled mm. and is kind of speaking their mind about what's going on. Um. From there, it kind of becomes the Brody Hooper show until uh, 4th of July. Mm -hmm. Mm. So to to condense all of this processing into um, this one scene actually makes a lot of sense because you don't get a lot of interactions with other townspeople after this. Yeah. Yeah. But this, there's so much in this scene, and there was me again, sort of thinking like maybe this moment is like fairly innocuous compared to like what we spoke about last week, which was like the big <laughs> moment of tension relief. But there is honestly so much in this in this scene. I I I kind of meant it when I said that this is one of the the scarier scenes in it because I think it's just it's seeing how these people are now dealing with what's happened and. I think it gets worse in the next bit as well with how like flippant some of them are about mm-hmm. it and you sort of get the real the real them coming through and I think you you get hints of that in in this there are some very funny exchanges between Mr and Mrs Taft as well though that um I just <laughs> to bring a, a little bit of lightness um I like that Mr Taft says to her why do you ins- insist on playing the heavy all the time um that made me laugh a lot because it just feels like this is what she like she's a very uh she's she's very upfront and she has no problem in speaking her mind and i just really love that this is clearly a thing that that happens all the time actually we we spoke about it when mr taft approaches brody that um uh mrs taft sort of stays on alert in the background to the when it gets to the point that he is clearly overstaying his welcome and she sort of summons him back so they kind of they it feels like them them as a couple they've kind of got this worked out in sort of knowing exactly how the how the other one works but yeah mrs taft's response as well is very funny she's like i have a point of view and i think it speaks for many of the people here i just i love that i love that confidence um I love that she she then like turns to the guy next to her and is like, well, you know, what do you think? But he's just, <laughs> I think he's basically bullied into saying the right thing or the right thing in her yeah. mind anyway. Yeah, I think there is too. There's there's some there's some funny stuff that happens around mm. grief because it's not it's something we're all guaranteed to experience, right? But it comes not that often in the grand scheme of things the older you get the more often it comes i'm sure as you start to lose people who are close to you um but the first few times especially it's such a new feeling Mm. and i'm gonna get a little real and a little dark but it ends a little funny um if you like dark stuff so i lost my father last year to cancer and um 
I have gone through this grief process. Grief is very important to me. I think that's why I'm picking up on that. And I have, I ha when stuff like this happens, I tend to immediately default to empathy mm. um, because I notice these griefs, uh, th this, this, this foundational grief. Um, I, I recognize it because I remember it in myself. So that's where this is coming from. Mm -hmm. So all that said, we're at the hospital. It's the last week of my father's life. And his cancer doctor is in the room with us telling us, your dad does not have much longer to live. It will be a day maximum. This is very sad news. But this man is dressed in a white doctor's coat and all denim. <laughs> he has a denim shirt, denim <laughs> pants, and a green and blue wool tie <laughs> on and the biggest he the, the, and a brown belt around all of that <laughs> and it was the most distracting thing <laughs> to be told that your father has 24 hours to live from a guy essentially dressed like justin timberlake and britney spears at the 2001 <laughs> mtv music awards uh and to the point where i was listening obviously but it was, maybe it was this defense mechanism of denial in my own brain where it was like, focus on the funny shit that is this man telling you this information. Mm -hmm. But later on that day, we are in the lobby of the hospital and I run into the doctor again, still decked out like uh, in all denim and a green and, and blue white uh, striped tie, wool tie. And we're going to get food and as we're walking, Kristen was like, uh, Kristen's my wife. Kristen goes, is he wearing an entirely denim outfit and a wool tie? It was June, by the way. And it gets to be 107 where I live in the summer, Fahrenheit. Um, we're not melting over here in the States. Uh, and yeah, I think about that. Almost as often as I think about the fact that like when, that that is tied directly to me thinking about the loss of my father, where it's just like, why was he wearing that? <laughs> why was he wearing that? Yeah. Who who decides to wear that? Um, <laughs> he's an excellent doctor and he took really good care of my dad and did everything for him that he possibly could have done. Mm -hmm. I do not want it. I do not want it to seem like uh, he was a bad doctor. But he made some choices with his outfits sometime. One time he came in during that week. It was Sunday. And he was like, I'm going to go in in my casual doctor's outfit. And it was just this all-white K-Swiss sweatsuit tracksuit. <laughs> and I was just like, why? Like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> some real choices made in the fashion stakes. <laughs> yeah. It was, his fashion sense was something else. So that said, when there's a lot of grief going on, there's also some really funny stuff that sticks with you, maybe as a defense mechanism, mm. but also I thought of it as like, oh, this is new for me. This isn't like something I've gone through. I've never, you know, I, I have two parents and I haven't, I haven't lost the other one. So this is the first time I'm going through this. And so when you're experiencing new feelings like that, you tend to remember and notice a lot of stuff and you never experience that stuff in just a vacuum, right? Like it's never... You're never just grieving, like there, because the world turns, you know, mm. are, uh, around too. So you're dealing with other stressors and joys, and like in the middle of your grief, you can find things funny. I think that's really important to remember. All that said, I think this scene does a really good job of showing there's a lot of trauma that these people experience, but they're also kind of weird island people too, and we see that in the best line ever next week. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm where they're grieving and then this lady just says the funniest thing <laughs> the funniest thing yeah i think i feel like next week's episode is just going to be like 45 minutes of us talking about how great that line is and honestly i'm fine so with good. that um, it's so good yeah i think yeah there's de there's definitely something in that and you and perhaps like when many people would write this scene or direct this scene as as very serious because it is and particularly when you add in that idea of that this this group of people are all going through this collective grief and i i think that is absolutely the case and it's incredibly relevant to what people are are experiencing now and yeah to to 
someone i i don't know i just i feel like other other people writing or directing the scene like might not want to have those moments of of lightness interspersed but it feel it makes it feel so much more authentic and i don't think it's just us as a as the audience of this film sort of like picking up on the on the funny things that are that are happening because as we see in 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 next week's episode you know the first thing a guy does is like try to crack a joke so mm-hmm. it's clear that the the people in this scene if we imagine that they are real people that they are sort of like trying to cope with this in you know in in the way that they the way that they feel is is best as well um from a, a filmmaking point of view again I, I we talked about this with um when the paint pot is knocked over and we were fairly convinced mm-hmm. that it was uh, just a wonderful accident that got captured on film there's also a great bit with Roy Scheider hitting his head on a sign which I believe it was an accident as well but just stayed in so he's like backwards walking as he's talking to Mrs Taft I think um, and he just isn't looking where he's going, and he sort of like whacks his head on this low sign in the in the corridor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it always makes me laugh just because again it is you know one of those like unintentional things. And Roy Scheider does a great kind of like subtle reaction to it as well, like he did with the brushes. But I think the way this scene unfolds, and particularly thinking about this moment that we're talking about, which is only really just over a minute, it packs a lot in but we get a really great sense in this scene of how everyone is feeling and we've sort of said you know it's it's horrible that really the only things on their mind seem to be like oh i could get some money out of this or you know what about my business but it's it's it is what they're what they're experiencing and what they're going through at this time that those are the things that that concern them obviously it's slightly horrifying to us because we we know the child has died but maybe not even all of these people were on the beach we don't actually know how many of them you know piling into the into the town hall for a meeting were actually there and saw what happened we certainly know the tafts did but yeah it's this i think is the scene where we apart from on the beach where we sort of get you know a a much smaller group this is like the most amount of amity people that we've had in one space so far so we're sort of getting that sense of how everyone is coping with what's happened but also reacting as as well and their different ways of doing that yeah and i like what you said about um that it it, it's really important that the scene and what helps it feel more realistic is that it shows that there's a bunch of different things happening Mm -hmm. right it's not just the grief or it could all be stemming out of that but you know the way people respond to it is different and i think there's a i think it's why i have a hard time with like those those types of movies that it's just like everything is sad all the time for this person and it's like it's not like i know it's not and Mm. like they might feel that way but most of the movies that depict that don't show it that way they don't show that oh hey maybe something good or something that could be taken positively happens to someone i think inside lewin davis does it the best Mm. and uh so what i'm thinking of is like I haven't seen it, but the recent Hillbilly Elegy where it's just like, everything is sad and we're poor. And it's like, well, that's not how life is. Like, you're, you're poor, sure. That's, you know, an undeniable fact. But you're not just going to be sad about that 100% of the time. Like, a movie that doesn't have a, that has like a consistent tone like that is, I think, really disingenuous. Precious is another one that comes to mind where it's just like depressing thing after depressing thing after depressing thing. And yes when we're going through stress and one it can feel like one thing is happening after another but in a day like you laugh in a day Mm -hmm. you you know there's just so much more to life than that and so this this showing that happening is uh is really important even though the context of it is also or the subtext of it is them processing this grief it shows like there's still other things that the world keeps turning like Mm. not to and it's not in this like you're not special get over it (laughs) sense either it's it's you know it's not a mean like suck it up and get over it uh 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 tone to it it's just like 
there are other things like this this happened and it's terrible and it sucks and everyone's processing this and everyone's processing it differently and that's how life works Mm. yeah and they're also all processing it in the same room as well so it just feels Mm -hmm. that bit more hectic but it feels it feels real and i was just thinking about the story you shared um your experience with your dad and if that was a scene in a movie you the i guess most directors or you know would choose to stage that as incredibly sad which Mm -hmm. it obviously was but they wouldn't I, i don't know how many would then be willing to like then throw in that insane gag about what the doctor was wearing because it's just it's so it's so not what you it's so not what you would expect to happen and in a in a movie it's a sad scene a sad moment and and something bad or distressing or you know whatever is is happening you don't then want to like throw in something that is then gonna take away from that take away from that but that is that is life that is what happens and i think that's incredibly true and i think that that's something that this moment absolutely gets right is those moments of lightness and the silliness of it all as well and the fact that what they're bickering over the fact that someone who was there and saw what happened is denying that there was even a shark we can laugh about all that that stuff and it's but it 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 is real that is exactly how a meeting like this would probably unfold and i think i've always considered this scene previously to be like really over the top with like how people are acting and stuff but i don't know i'm kind of changing my tune on it now i feel like this is exactly how people would react because i've seen people react in this way this year to what we're going through yeah definitely mm-hmm. um so uh not to just make this the mj trauma podcast but <laughs> i thought of an actually even funnier story so the day after my dad died, I get a call from the funeral home, mm-hmm. as to be expected. And I'm scheduling when we're going to meet to go over the funeral plans, all that stuff, right? So I get the schedule down and obviously not thinking in my right mind. I forget to ask them which location we're going to be meeting at because this particular um, service has two locations in our town. Mm-hmm. So I call them back and say, oh, which location is this at? And she goes, oh, it's this one. And she tells me the location. And then she says, oh, also, we've had a cancellation. Um, You can come in earlier. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. But in my brain, I was like, why did you have a cancellation? You're a funeral home. (laughs) I was like, there are two things that happen here. A miracle or we need to get the shotguns. (laughs) I don't know whether to laugh or cry, but laughing, I think, is the right reaction. Please laugh at that. Everyone, please laugh at that because that is objectively funny. That's very If I saw that in a movie, it would be hilarious. But it happened to me in my real life, and it was hilarious. Like, I was just like, what do you mean a cancellation? What... What what is more important in this person's life right now? Like... Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, certainly what your real examples and the example in this this scene show is that just those things do do happen. And honestly, you have to laugh about it. And everyone's way of processing is completely different. But I think to pretend like those insane, ridiculous and funny things don't happen... It's kind of foolish. So, yes. I mean, this, so much great stuff in this film. Like, honestly, I probably sound like a broken record where every week I'm like, isn't this film the best? But it's so good. This, this scene is so great. And I feel like it only gets better over the next couple of weeks as well because we get our favorite line next week, which we're incredibly hyped to talk about. We then get Quint's entrance. Like, there's so much good stuff to come. We've really... I feel like I've really had to restrain myself this week and not go too far ahead because there's a lot to get into. Um, and I think that it will certainly... This this idea of, like, the stages of grief that we've brought up, it'll be really interesting to see yeah. how that comes across uh, in 
in the next moment in particular and sort of whether we start seeing those very clear stages and and who perhaps you know represents those things as well will they be wearing yellow that's going to be the thing i'm looking out for um but yeah i i didn't did you have anything anything else in the scene i feel like we've we've gone through quite a bit but i had a just reading back over my notes now if you had anything else you wanted to uh no i think we covered it the five stages of grief and jaws is a time travel movie (laughs) we really didn't spend as much time as i thought we would on the time travel thing but it's almost so insane i can't work it out and it hurts my brain a little bit to think about it so (laughs) (laughs) it is one of those things where it's like i i get it like not everything's gonna be super consistent across the board but it feels like you should probably figure out the timeline of your movie like um yeah like plot it out like draw it on a piece of paper and be like here's the day it starts and here's this happens on this day and that happens on this day and this is how it goes down <laughs> yeah and it, like it's weird to just kind of catch something as lazy as that in a movie like this because it's so good mm-hmm. um this is where uh, uh uh man just mj trauma and hot takes all day on this this show <laughs> uh so christopher nolan's interstellar not a good movie has lazy writing to begin with. Uh, sorry if you guys like Interstellar. I don't know where you feel, land on the film. But there's a moment in the movie where I was like, I'm out. I'm done. And it's late in the movie when Casey Affleck is all he's, is, is Matthew McConaughey's son. And he's talking to his dad. And he's like, uh, yeah, we, na- we, 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 we named him after you. We named him Coop. But Coop is his nickname because his last name is Cooper. His first name is like John or something. So they didn't name him after him. They named him after his nickname, which means that Matthew McConaughey's character in Interstellar has a grandson named Coop Cooper. (laughs) I've never thought about that before. And now (laughs) ruined. (laughs) No, I'm not mad. That's very funny. And I already wasn't liking that movie. And I was like, wait a minute, that's his nickname. His last name is Cooper. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. I can't with this anymore. I, nope. Coop Cooper. I mean, it's quite the, yeah. it's quite the name. <laughs> sure. For a Marvel villain. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of, I low-key really like it when there's like these old goofs in a film though, where it's, like I will tell everyone that Jaws is perfect and it still is even with these little things but yeah I just because the majority of people I don't think would pick up on these things so maybe now I mean we've had people get in touch with us being like you guys have made me like watch Jaws in a whole new light and that's amazing like honestly the best thing you could tell us we love to hear that but I feel like now we might get people being like well that's ruined (laughs) 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 in which case we're sorry (laughs) yeah um also would really like it if someone could figure out this this insane timeline whether it involves time traveling sharks or not um please someone just work it out how how this could how this could be and still make sense make it make sense that's what we uh that's what we're asking yeah. for this week <laughs> jaws jaws is a prequel to primer <laughs> i just i i honestly love the idea so much of the shark being the time traveler and also Brody and like Brody is like well this one girl died but maybe I can just go back and stop I can stop anyone else from dying and the shark is like nope and just like follows <laughs> follows him through the wormhole and is like psych <laughs> oh man that's so good just hits a big button that says time travel with his fin oh this might end up being the next competition after the uh, after the shark in handcuffs closes. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some... We're gonna get a we're gonna get a, a shark and a fez. Please. Uh... <laughs> oh boy! Right. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think that's everything. Um, I the only other like final note I had is that I just I like the guy who is talking to uh is talking to Mrs. Taft at the end because like she basically is demanding 
an answer out of him and she only wants one answer but it's just that it's just the really like sweet and naive way he's just like i hope they don't close the beaches <laughs> like he just sounds so innocent about the whole thing and it just it made me laugh kudos to that guy <laughs> yeah that's the guy that's sitting next to her that's not uh mr taft right yeah yeah he's like on the other side of her and she's like well i've got a motel so that's why i'm bothered but like what do you think and then he's just put on the spot completely and it's like well i just i just i hope they don't close the beaches (laughs) (laughs) bless his heart (laughs) yeah does he have a yellow shirt on too it kind of it looks like it could go either way but it could be the shadows that i'm seeing yeah there's There's a guy behind her in a mustard yellow uh cardigan Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah we're looking out for these yellow these uh yellow items of clothing in this scene larry is the other is the other big one in his yellow yeah. jacket and i want to see that man's suit collection just because oh, it's got to be the most impressive thing right does he organize it by color <clears throat> mood occasion Pattern. <laughs> yeah i mean so many questions things that we need the answers to yep <laughs> definitely okay i think that'll wrap it up that was a comprehensive episode <laughs> we ran the gamut on that one mm-hmm. um Hey, if, uh, by the way, uh, sorry, sorry, I try, I really try not to be the like white guy podcaster who talks about his dead dad all the time, but it seemed relevant to this conversation. So that's probably going to be the only time I talk about it on this show. Um, uh, cause that seems to be a common theme and I don't like that either where it's just like, well, my dad died. And so that's why I feel this way about this. And it's like, okay, that's not the only thing that's ever happened to you, man. Um, (laughs) Relevant to this scene though, so... Yeah, yeah. Not to once again, not to be like don't not to be like suck it up and get over it either. Like that's not mm. but it also like it informs you, definitely, but I feel like I'm over explaining because I get I do get very self conscious about that. Anyway, <laughs> not the point. We're here to talk about Jaws, not my dead dad. <laughs> um, anyway, all that to be said, we're having a contest. Uh sorry for the awkward segue. Uh we're having a contest for some fan art. We have received several entries that are all very good um but dating back to episode two proper of this show we discussed the logistics of arresting a shark and more importantly putting them in handcuffs which seems very irrelevant now that we've realized that no cuffs can hold a time traveling shark (laughs) but here we are asking for it anyway today if you're listening to this the day it came out December 18th, 2020 is the final day to send us an email or send us a tweet with your uh, artwork. And uh, by artwork, we mean literally anything. We've received a video. We've received a sculpture. We've received drawings. If you want to do an interpretive dance (laughs) set to whatever piece of music you would like, please do that. I heard there might be a cake coming. We mentioned that last week. Mm-hmm. Um, literally anything that you want to do. And uh, we will pick our, our favorite, I suppose, which is going to be tough because they've all been pretty great. Um, <laughs> and you will win a T-shirt mm-hmm. and a mug mm-hmm. with the logo on it, right? Is it just the T-shirt and the mug? Did we... That confirm is, that yeah that is it there may also be some like little badges as well potentially for all of the people who have entered so even if you don't win you may okay. still get a little badge just for taking part <laughs> okay cool um i have one of those on my backpack um yeah uh other than that so email that by the end of today uh midnight whatever time zone you're in we'll count it because we are you know across the ocean from each other so it seems only fair um so but yeah by midnight december 18th is the deadline and uh then we will announce our winners in the new year because the episode you're reaching you're going to be hearing next week is actually going to be recorded the day after we're recording this which is before december 18th so winners will not be announced on the next episode but presumably right episode 15 yeah yeah okay so episode 15 which will be the first episode of the new year um, will be when you find out if you won or not. And um, yeah, that's the details on that. Thank you guys for submitting. Thank you guys for supporting. We were talking off mic. We received a very nice tweet this week that said uh, that the person had already, or had 
watched the film because they started listening to the show and they felt like they had never seen the film before. And it really made me feel good um, because it uh, we love doing this and we love doing this for you guys and we love that you guys are listening and participating. And we love that we can affect your enjoyment of this movie uh, and augment it. Uh, because we love this movie. It's very obvious. I think we're passionate about this movie and we love it. And uh, yeah, it's really nice to kind of get that feedback from you guys as well. So thank you for that. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, we are at Jaws for a minute. Um, that's the official account of the show. That's how you'll know uh, if there are any other contests um, <laughs> because I really want some time traveling shark and Brody. <laughs> Uh, fan art holy moly um <clears throat> and when episodes come out and just general like fan interaction uh we're we're, we're not we got nothing better to do it's a pandemic <laughs> we'll we'll see your tweet we'll probably respond to you um uh, if you want to follow us individually uh sarah is at sarah buttery s-a-r-a-h-b-u-d-d-e-r-y i am at mj smith 891 if you would like to email us Jaws for a minute at gmail.com is the place to do so. Leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice, iTunes and Spotify, preferably. Those are the ones that kind of affect um, the, 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 the stats the most. That's the two most popular platforms. But if you're on Google or Stitcher or wherever, we're on most podcatchers. So whatever, wherever you want to leave us a review, please do so. Um, share it with your friends and family as you're talking to them, hopefully responsibly, over the holidays. Uh, say, hey, I've been listening to this podcast. These people have done a crazy thing and are going through Jaws minute by minute or thereabouts. And I think you would like it because Jaws is a wonderful film and you should check it out because there's good analysis like time traveling sharks and this scene being the five stages of grief all in one episode. Um, if you want merch, we are on Redbubble. There is a link in our Twitter bio that we are also on TeePublic um, if you want to get your merch from there as well get a t-shirt get a button get some coasters we have all kinds of stuff available there's masks you can get a mask you can get a tote bag there's plenty of stuff go check it out um it's probably the easiest way to support support the show uh monetarily if you would like and uh yeah i think that's it until next time watch sorcerer and it's jaws o'clock somewhere